0: Church, I uh, got a real treat this morning. Our student pastor, Justin Ulmer, is going to be preaching. And those of you who do not know that Justin, don't know Justin personally, or don't have students in our student ministry, you ought to know this. Uh, Justin came to Christ here at Woods Ed some years ago, and he is deep with Jesus. And that's reflected out in our student ministry. So uh, give Justin a warm welcome, if you don't mind. Thank you, Jeff. Well, church, good morning. Welcome. My name is Justin. I'm the student pastor here, as Jeff said. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to remind all of you with students that our largest event of the year, Freedom 2018, is coming up in less than two weeks. And registration cuts off on January 3rd. So if you have not registered your student yet for our best event of the year, which we'll have a slide up there real fast, please do so ASAP, and if you need any sort of financial assistance, just ask. The theme for this weekend, as you can see, is the great exchange. We're trading in our sorrows for the joy of the Lord, and this morning, we're kind of getting a preview of that with the sermon the Lord's given me to share with us. Um, I don't have a lot of time during Christmas to write sermons and whatnot, and I'm preparing with my team for Freedom Weekend, and so I asked the Lord back in November, what do you want me to talk about come December 31st? And I want to share with you guys an excerpt from my quiet time and how I responded to that. So, sitting over in Panther Creek Starbucks around 7 o'clock on November 20th, I wrote down, Good morning, Father. Thank you for today. I pray for the peace that you have been promising us this year. I pray for revival. Give us wisdom. Inspire us. Bless and protect every Woods Edge family. I pray for more of you in us in 2018 What would you have me talk about December 31st? And I just opened my Bible and read until my spirit stirred. And what captured my heart for us this morning was the story of Jesus cleansing the temple at Passover in John chapter 2. It says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices, He saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor. He turned over their tables, and then, going over to the people who sold doves, he said to them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace." And then his disciples remembered this prophecy, passion for God's house will consume me. You guys, this is our New Year's Eve sermon, and I will just confess to you, I do not have any faith in New Year's resolutions, but I got a lot of faith in prayer. Under your seats, you should have or will find a white card that says, dear God, on it. I invite you, grab that right now. And if you have a pen near you or in your pocket, feel free to use that. But the back of this card I'd like you to use for notes as we cruise through our sermon. And I'll be asking us a series of questions to ask the Lord. And whatever you feel like he is saying to you, just jot that down throughout the sermon. Save the front of the card that says, Dear God, for the end of the sermon, when we'll all write a personal prayer to Jesus for our 2018. So this morning... We're going to talk about passion for God's house will consume me. What does that mean, and how does that apply to you and me today? Personally, this story has always intimidated me. I don't like it. Here's my sweet, loving Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, the tender shoot, and this guy is in full-on beast mode, storming through the temple, flipping over tables, swinging a whip, and chasing people right out of God's house. And the reason that that bothers me is that I let this story, I let this unique image of Jesus come to me whenever I mess up, whenever I make a mistake, which, if you want to ask my wife, is daily. And when I think of Jesus crashing through there, and I think when I mess up that that's how he's coming at me, it intimidates me, it bothers me, I don't like it. Therefore, this is one of those scriptures. I'll just be honest that in the past, um, I'd rather avoid it, I'd rather ignore it, because it's hard to understand, and it just hits too close to home. Anybody out there wrestle with anger from time to time or have had somebody in your life? Thank you, sir. You're not alone. Thank you. Um, One honest person in here. You guys, um, I wrestle with anger, and if you don't, you probably have somebody in your life that does, and you've been on the receiving end of an outburst like this in your life, I imagine, from somebody that you know, or you may have been on the giving end of an outburst like this. I asked Brooke, what's a story about the kids when we've had an outburst from them recently, and she's like, well, you had one on Friday, and you should tell them that. I was reviewing this sermon, and the kids were going bananas in the back room where I went for solace and peace and quiet. And so I'm trying to concentrate, and they're hollering, and I used my voice to command the room and said, get out. Twenty minutes later, I noticed I didn't hear anything. The whole family left. Like, they just got in the car and took off. I'm so sorry about that. But thank you for your obedience. No. Um, So. Is it okay for me? Is it okay for us? Because you probably have a scripture in the Bible that you read and you're like, "Eh, I don't know about that one. Is it okay for us to just ignore the tough ones? Is it okay for us to just avoid the ones that we don't agree with? Well, as your student pastor, I'll just let you know, it's not the advice that I give to our kids. Um, You guys, the, the theme of our student ministry for this past semester has been Repentance. Everything we do, we drive home the point of repentance. The biblical definition of repentance is to change the way that you think about who God is and about who he has called us, created us to be. Repentance is changing the way that you think about who God is And who he created us to be. It was the message of John the Baptist. Repent, repent, repent. It was the first word out of Jesus' mouth when he came out of the wilderness. Repent for the time is near. Change the way that you think about who God is and who he created you to be. Now God's truth, God's word says this. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is Always good for us. You guys, we change the way that we think so that we can understand and obey and love God's truth. And here's God's truth saying that discipline, even when it's harsh and in your face, when it's from the Lord, it is good. Always. So if God's discipline is always good for me and for you, then I have to change the way that I think about this story. So I did a little investigating over the break, and here's some things that I learned that I feel like the Lord wants to communicate to us as a body. John 2.13, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. So what's the Passover? Why is it significant that Jesus showed up that day to go into the temple? Well, 2 Kings 23.4 says, at the time of the Passover, Old Testament times, The king instructed the priests to remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that were used to worship Baal, Asherah, and all the powers of the heavens. So if it's Passover, and if Jesus is our high priest, and the priest is supposed to cleanse the temple, Jesus wasn't acting irrationally when he showed up. Dude was just doing his job. He didn't fly off the handle. He was just showing up for work. It was time to cleanse the temple. And what was he cleansing it of? Idols. Anything that would keep God's people from knowing God, from focusing on God, from following God. Now, as an example of what that might look like, for me, a big one early in my faith walk was the thing keeping me from knowing, following, and focusing on God was I was an alcoholic when I came to Jesus, um, like 10-year alcoholic. I had invited Jesus into my heart early on in my faith right here at Woods Edge when we were over at the college. I had invited him to be my Savior, but I would not submit to him as Lord. In the first three years of my faith, I was the good little Woods Edger when the sun was up. But at night, I was partying hard. Every single evening with my friends. And as I pursued these completely different lifestyles at the same time, I could feel my soul just ripping in half inside of me. I knew that Ephesians 5 said, do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. And my rationalization toward that scripture that I did not like was, yeah, but when I'm at the bar, I'm talking about you and witnessing to my friends. So it's okay. I tell him about how I go to church and stuff. I'm doing a great job for you, Jesus. I don't think he was very happy with that response, but that's what I told him. And I think we all have a tendency to do that sometimes, rationalize scripture, explain away our actions, when we know they're not lining up with what God's word calls for. So my first question to us as a church this morning is, is there anywhere in our life, in your life, where you're rationalizing A disobedience to God's word. I'll give you a couple other examples of what that might look like. These are things that that I rationalized early in my faith. Um, Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, as it says in many places in the Bible. And my rationalization was, yeah, but I can't give you 10% and pay my credit card bill, so you either need to give me a raise or we need to figure something else out. Matthew 18, if another believer sins against you, go privately to that person and point Out the offense. My rationalization, yeah, but man, that is awkward. Hard pass, right? It's way easier to just talk about it with my friends and feel better about myself rather than go and have a heart-to-heart, a tough conversation with somebody I love. So I would encourage you, just take a second, ask the Lord. Have you been rationalizing away a verse? Have you been just ignoring a, a command of the Lord? It's okay. Just own it. And if God's speaking something to you, just jot it down for later. John 2:14 In the temple area, Jesus saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Now remember, this was Passover. This was the proper time for the temple to be cleansed of what anything that would keep God's people from knowing Him, focusing on Him, following Him. So how were these little distractions, how were they distracting? I mean, it had been like that for years. It had been like that for many years. Selling cattle, sheep, doves, changing money. How were these things distracting? Well, by permitting livestock in God's house They were distracting anybody and everybody that came in there to worship. I mean, just use your imaginations for a second. Can you imagine if there were a couple hundred sheep wandering the aisles right now and some cows just like chewing on your purse and bumping into you and pigeons, you know, doing what pigeons do. In places, I mean, how I would not be able to focus on what I was saying if that's what was going on in this room. It was an absolute distraction that that was being permitted in God's temple. And yet the priests of the day rationalized that action, that permission of that distraction by saying, yeah, but God, we're making it easier for people to buy their sin pigeon, so it's okay. We're making it easier for them to purchase some grace, so it's all Right? by permitting the money changers in God's house. Something that stood out to my, re- my research was that every visitor that went to the Lord's house for the first time, what they saw were all these dudes selling different rates with tables in front of them, stacked high with silver. Can you imagine walking into this church to hear the word and to worship? And every single square foot of wall space is an ATM with blinking lights That would be super distracting. Can you imagine if our executive pastor staff are up here with like pen and paper and they're just like, what you need? Pesos? You need some lira? We got whatever you want. Like that would be an absolute distraction. And it made the visitors to God's house think, man, the God of the Jews is just all about money. Absolutely distracting. And yet there was that rationalization again. The priests of the day were saying, hey, man, God, we're making it easier for these people to buy some forgiveness. Right? That's what you want. That's what you called us to. So why was Jesus so passionate about these distractions? Because he knew, as you and I know, that when we come before the Lord, we need to be able to focus on the Lord. When we gather together to worship, that's what we should do. Worship. Put God first. And if there's anything that distracts us from that, at church, in your quiet time, in your prayer closet, on your drive, whatever, if there's anything that's distracting me or you, from focusing on the Lord, following the Lord. We are called to deal with it. We are called to address it. So my second question for you, and this is just between you and the Lord, but what's distracting you from God? What's keeping you from a regular recurring quiet time? What's stopping you from getting into the word every day and spending unhurried time with Jesus? Some examples that have bothered me and distracted me before is other people's opinions. Um, what are they going to think about me if I open up my Bible here at Starbucks and start reading? That's one of the reasons why I go to Starbucks, so that people will ask. But it used to be the reason that I refused to do it, is other people's opinion impacting your relationship with the Lord or your faith at work or at school. Social media is a huge distraction. It's so hard for me to sit there in that chair and read my Bible, and when I feel my phone buzz, not pull it out and look at it, and then, but, therefore like literally putting God second. As I put this first, my comfort is a big distraction for me from putting God first because it is uncomfortable from time to time to feel so compelled to pray for that person at Starbucks that I can see is limping or crying or struggling. And here I am with a relationship with the God that works miracles, knowing that if I just say, can I pray for you, that their whole world could change. But I'm like, ooh, but they might think I'm weird. Man, what a small price to pay for what God might do in their situation. So, is there anything distracting you from spending time with the Lord, from focusing on me right now? An example, no offense, guys and gals, watching some games, but has anybody looked at their phone to check any scores since we've been in here? Man, put that away. You don't need that. You can wait. So, when Jesus saw these distractions, what did he do? John chapter 2, 15 through 16, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and he chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor. He turned over their tables. And then going to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. He chased away the distractions. He removed them. I love what I learned about the significance of the whip that Jesus made in this moment. It was made from the leftover rope and cords that had been used to bring the cattle into the temple. It was literally the leftovers that had been brought in the cattle, the leftovers of their idolatry. It's very symbolic. It's very deep stuff going on here. What are the leftovers of my idolatry? What are the leftovers of my sin? Well, some pretty familiar things. Shame, fear, hopelessness, to name a few. When I do that thing that I know God doesn't call me to do, that I know is in direct opposition to Scripture, how do I feel? How do you feel? We immediately feel ashamed, afraid, hopeless. Those are the leftovers of idolatry idolatry. And yet, that is exactly where God loves to meet us. Doesn't Scripture say, a broken, repentant heart, O Lord, you will not reject. In those moments of fear and shame and hopelessness, that's when we want to hide and just cover up. And God's like, no, that's when I want to spend time with you. That's when I want to connect with you. I was broken, hopeless, and afraid when I realized that alcohol was ruining my life. Alcohol was one of my big idols. It was an unrepentant sin. I knew it wasn't what the Lord wanted for me. I knew the first service I came here, sitting in the back right of the theater over at Montgomery College, when Jeff was speaking, the Spirit convicted me, the way you're living your life is not what I have for you. And it took me three stubborn years to finally admit that he was right. And no matter what I tried during those three years that I tried, I could not get free of that idol. It was part of me. I had given all of myself to it. But one day, in absolute brokenness, fear, hopelessness, I confessed very simply, Jesus, I cannot beat this. But I know that you can. Please help me. You guys, like that was a weak snap. It was loud up here. Like that. Jesus showed up to me in the temptation to drink that had ruled my life for a decade. Gone. Gone. Woke up the next day. It was gone. Simply because I did what scripture commands. Confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you and heal you. Jesus showed up when I asked for help. And he removed my idolatry, my sin. My last question for us, what is causing you, what has been causing you this year to feel ashamed, afraid, hopeless? Is there anything in your life that has been ruling and reigning over you that you're like, I cannot get out from under this? Some other examples could be, is there somebody in your life that you're just refusing to forgive? What does Jeff say? It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Is there anybody in here? Man, there's a thousand people in here. Surely. Is there anyone in here that's wrestling with an addiction issue that you just cannot get out from? That you are so afraid, as I was afraid, that somebody will find out about Is there anybody in here that's wrestling with just complacency? Man, I I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Surely that's enough. I I read my Bible. I I put those Tozer quotes on my Facebook wall. That's enough. Ask God to show you this morning. Is there something that's standing between you? Something you can't handle on your own that he would love to remove for you? I love using visuals in my sermons. So we're going to give you one. I want you guys to look at this picture of what God is dying to do for you this morning. Get your thing that you can't beat on your own into the forefront of your thoughts and check this out. Heck yeah. All day. Yeah. Let's just watch the movie. No. You guys, did you see the hopelessness on Hank's face? There's no chance that he had with his little pea shooter against that tank. And yet, they had called for help earlier, and help showed up at just the right time. You guys, when I took the time to think about what this very tough, confusing sermon what this scripture had to say, when I actually took the time to think about what it says and just did a little investigating, I learned some really cool stuff that has just changed the way that I will think about this passage and Jesus forever. Something I noticed that I'd never noticed before was that Jesus never attacked the sinners. He never went off to the people when he walked into the temple. Do you know that he only attacked the sin? When he held up that whip, it was for the animals to see. And when the animals saw it, they fled. And so the people followed the sin, the idolatry, the thing. Uh, Jesus did not run off those individuals. He ran off what was hurting them and hurting their relationship with Jesus. I look at this passage now and it's like, God's not mad at me. He is mad about me. God is not looking to run me off. He's looking to clear a way so we can run to each other. John 2, 17, the, past, the scripture that really tugged at me and said, this is what you should talk about. After Jesus had cleansed the temple, his disciples, remember, his disciples remembered this prophecy Passion for God's house will consume me. You guys, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, don't you know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God's house, us, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Church, we are God's temple. You and I are God's house. And Jesus is consumed with a passion to claim us, to cleanse us, and to set us free today. God desires more for us in this coming year than what we experienced last year. And I want to invite you to give him permission to come into whichever area of your life stirred as I was talking about those examples. Give him permission to come and do and take care of what you cannot. Imagine what our church will look like beginning tomorrow if we invite Jesus to come in totally and completely acknowledging him as Savior and as Lord. Imagine what loving Jesus might look like when you wake up tomorrow with no distractions. Imagine what journeying together will look like if we can put our fear and our shame behind us and be real and authentic with each other. Imagine the hope that we will be able to bring when people start looking at us this week and say, Something, something's different about you. And we, boom, have an opportunity to say, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me already in 2018. We're going to respond to our sermon now. I I pray, I have great hope and confidence that God has said something to each of you this morning. And in a moment, we'll have an opportunity to take communion. We'll have an opportunity to bring our tithes and offerings and just gratitude saying, God, I, I put more faith in you than I do this paper. We will have an opportunity to worship and say thank you with all our heart, mind, and soul by just singing out to the Lord. Well, prayer partners up here at the end of the sermon. But the thing I really feel compelled to challenge you to do is can we just have a minute of silence out there and just take that card and write a prayer to God saying, Yeah, Lord, this right here is standing between us. I can't deal with it. I have tried. I don't know what to do with it. Will you come and just blow it out of my life? Will you storm into my temple, into me, and take care of this for me? Church, will you do that? He will respond immediately. There it was. You guys, take a minute. Ask the Lord, what's that one thing that I can lay before you? And then invite him in that prayer to deal with it. When you're done, you can, you can bring him up here, you can put him in the offering boxes, or you can take that card home and make that your prayer every day for this year. It will make all a difference. Go ahead and write your prayer to the Lord.